0: For over 45 years, people have relied on Village Green Apothecary to give them individualized nutrition, pharmacy, and healthy living products. Village Green will give you the kind of person-to-person help and attention that mass-market pharmacies have long ago forgotten. You can depend on us for knowledge, experience, product selection, and a smile. Visit Village Green in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane. Call us at 301-530-0800 or check out our website at myvillagegreen.com. We're here to help you.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to The Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Pacero. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're here every Sunday from 10 to 11 a.m., so don't forget to set your dials. We're brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary, a local health and wellness business located here in Bethesda for over 40 years, bringing health and wellness to the community through their diverse offering of natural supplements. Their incredibly well-educated staff of nutritionists and health advisors, their compounding pharmacy and team of people that are designed to help you achieve your optimal health and wellness. You can stream the show um, by going to www.federalnewsradio.com, and you can listen to any of our previously recorded shows by going to the Village Green website www.myvillagegreen.com, and on the right-hand side of the homepage, clicking on the microphone icon will take you to our archive show section. Today, we are going to be discussing a really interesting topic. We're bringing together a lot of different aspects of health and tying it all into this idea of how chemicals in our environment are affecting some of these incredibly fundamental aspects of our health and of our body in a way that's making it more difficult for our bodies to stay and be health to stay healthy, be healthy and thrive. We have on the phone with us Dr. Uh, Tom Malteri. Tom, did I say that right?
2: Malteri, Malteri, yeah.
1: Tom Malteri. He received both his bachelor's and master's of science in nutrition from the esteemed Bastyr University, and is licensed by the state of Washington as a certified nutritionist. Tom travels throughout the United States and Canada, lecturing at conferences on topics such as vitamin D gluten intolerance, and digestive health. He empowers people through classes, seminars, and private counseling with his insight and depth of knowledge on the biochemical interactions within our body and their relationship to our diet. You can learn more at his website, which is www.wholelifenutrition.net. So, Tom, we've got a lot of topics to cover. I think we're going to (laughs) start by discussing sort of the role of chemicals as it relates to this thing called our microbiome, which is this chem- or this biochemical conglomeration of bacteria primarily, but also of viruses that inhabit our digestive system primarily. And what we're learning about the microbiome is that it has profound impacts not just on our digestion. For a long time, we've been looking at it in relation to digestive conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. But what we're learning is that the balance of the microbiome is global in our bodies, affecting our immune system, affecting our cardiovascular health, affecting the risk for type 2 diabetes, even affecting our brain in a very real, very powerful way. So um, it's a really interesting topic. There's a ton of exciting research going on relating to the microbiome, and I believe a lot of that research in mapping the microbiome will probably be more significant or at least as significant as a lot of what we learned when we mapped the human genome. Um, Because if we think about it, the amount of bacteria that live in our gut, it outnumbers our human cells 10 to 1, meaning we have 10 times more bacteria living in our gut then we have human cells in our body. And all of those bacteria have genetics. And the culmination of how those bacteria uh, impact our genetics is almost, in some ways, potentially more important than our genetics to begin with. Because as we learn about this field of epigenetics, we're learning more and more that the genes you're born with aren't necessarily what dictates your expression of health. And we learn that through twin studies. We now know that genetics maybe accounts for maybe as little as 30 to 40 percent of the expression of health, and environment and conditions around in which those genetics are exposed to, and what turns genes on and off, which is all related to environment, not just um, you know the physical environment, but that's nutrition, that's exposure to toxins, and that's toxins, environmental toxins, emotional toxins, stress, abuse, love, all of these different things affects what genes get turned on and, and turned off, and Um, really very exciting stuff about how to support health. So that's a little intro, Tom, I'm sure you have some really cool thoughts on it. Why don't you share with us your understanding of the microbiome? And then let's talk about the different things that go on in our world that can shift that microbiome in different ways and how that affects our health.
2: Actually Kevin. What a what a great introduction, man! Thank you so much. Uh, it's really nice to be on uh, the interview here with a, a person who has such a depth of knowledge in this field. That's great. The the average person, you're right, has a gene uh, pattern pool, if you will, that. Doesn't really match up with the type of expression that we're doing, the type of thoughts that we're capable of, the type of deeds, uh, the actual physiologic capacity of a human being doesn't really line up with our genes. I mean, if we actually have less gene pool, less genes to pull from than a fruit fly does. So you kind of say, wait a second, you know, some of these quote unquote lesser organisms don't have the same small genes we do, you think they would have less than we do, but the amount that they have to pull from is actually considerably higher than what a human does. So the scientists have been kind of curious and going, why? You know, we're such complex organisms. Why do we have such a a low amount of genes in comparison to what would be considered lesser organisms? And you're right, they're, they're now coming back to this whole thing and they're saying, oh my gosh, you know, these microbes that are existing around in the environment, that that are everywhere. They're 30,000 feet up in the atmosphere, and they dictate what's happening with weather patterns. They're thousands of feet down the ocean, and the ocean troughs, and the archaea, are processing some of the volcanic minerals that are coming up from the, the base of the seafloor and, and making them available, for some of the microorganisms in the ocean that then get eaten by the small fish and the larger fish. So the whole, the whole food chain, all of life, whether it's the organisms in the soil, right, the rhizosphere, that prep the root nodules and get the actual interaction with nitrogen in plants and, and the mineral absorption in the plants. That's all microbes that allow for that. So all life on this planet is is, is working in the presence of these microbes. And now we see that the human life is, is no different, right? They express 150 times more genes than we do. So there's a lot more messaging coming from the microbiome that's in our bodies, on our bodies, throughout our bodies, right? So we kind of say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is no longer a human organism. This is a human super organism, meaning we're not alone. (laughs) Everything we do relies on our communication with the organisms that we're hosting on and within us. So that awareness kind of makes us a little bit more humble, doesn't it? And we kind of say, well, gosh, what would life be like without them? And that's really easy. I mean, you can look at some of the studies of these germ-free animals, and you say when an animal is born into a germ-free environment, so they sterilize them and they don't give them any sort of inoculation or exposure to organisms, we see that they're far more susceptible Disease. In fact, uh, a colleague from Cornell University, Dr. Rodney Dietert, uh, he's a brilliant immunotoxicologist, he was asked to write in the journal Entropy about this process. And he says, you know, uh, I was asked to determine what would be the most important event in a person's life to give them health and prevent them from disease. And he said, You know, I started writing about toxic exposure because in the year 2014, or actually he wrote it in 2012. Year 2012, I mean, we're we're in a soup of it. We have it in our air and our water and our food. There are toxins everywhere. And he started writing, and he said the first two pages were really clunky and they didn't flow. And he went to sleep, and a dream came to him to say, Look at the microbiome. So he started diving into the research, and he got to see that the the importance of our exposure to organisms at birth, in the birthing process, is far, far more important than anything he could look at when it came to chemicals, when it came to any sort of nutrients, when it came to anything later on in life to prevent disease. So let's look at that. Let's Let's determine how that could be. I mean, what's the possibility, right? So you've got a mother in her third trimester. And as she's brewing a baby, she's also brewing a whole different host of colony of organisms in her lower intestinal tract. And the lower intestinal tract, interestingly enough, at birth, a child's head pushes right against the most distant part of that low intestinal tract that's been brewing all these organisms, called a cecum, and it will be pressed upon. And the child will come out, mouth up indirection of the place in which it just pressed upon, which would be allowing for actually some freeing of fecal matter, right? And everybody says, oh, gross. Oh, my gosh. I mean, so the child is pooped on, and I have five children, and every single one of them, you know, this whole process happens. It's pretty consistent. The large head pushes against the cecum, frees some of this fecal matter, and the child actually gets exposed at birth to this fecal matter. Unless, of course, they're in a sterile hospital or they're in an environment where they position the mother in such a way that that doesn't allow for that. So if the mother is squatting, that's a natural exposure. If she's lying on her back, that will not happen. So the baby is exposed to these organisms. And this inoculation process is interesting because the mother has spent an entire lifetime, an entire lifetime brewing these specific species. So in order for her to exist in, in a particular environment that the baby's being born into. So we didn't always have these jumbo jetliners, right? I mean, we would be in a specific region of the world and stay in that specific region of the world for our entire lifetime. So the mom would gather certain organisms from that particular environment to make her resilient for that environment. So she could digest the starches from those particular plants in that particular area. You get the, you get the idea. So she's adapted via those organisms, and then she passes that set of organisms on at birth to the child, both via that fecal exposure and her vaginal exposure. So there's constant migration of the organisms from the fecal matter to the vaginal canal, whether it seems sanitary or not sanitary, it's the existence. I mean, we're we're covered in these organisms. I mean, there are millions all over the place. You wipe your arm and you just pushed off, sloughed off millions of organisms. I mean, they're all over the place. So the organisms then, when they get exposed to the child, immediately start colonizing. Nasal passage, your genital area, the armpits, you're going to get the entire internal tube of life, as Science Magazine calls it, the gastrointestinal tract will be lined with organisms. You'll have very few up top, and they get more concentrated as they go down below to a point where when you are in the lower intestinal tract, you can take a spoonful of organisms from a colonized lower intestinal tract, and you'll have more organisms than there are known stars in the universe. There's a very, very high concentration. There's trillions upon trillions of these organisms. So you go, oh, wow. You know, okay, why? Why? What are they going to do for us? Well, the question is, is quick becoming, I'm not sure what the purpose is. If we're supposed to be carriers for the organisms, and the organisms Allowed us to exist on this planet, and we're serving them, or if they're serving us. But, uh, you know, depending on how you want to look at it, you can look at it either way. But the reality is, they will communicate with the outside world and then communicate with ourselves. So they are intermediaries, they are interpreters. Nothing really happens on our body without usually having the outside world contact an organism first and then contact our body. So let's look at this in the form of training our immune cells, okay? So our entire inner tube of life, our gastrointestinal cells, are supported by our immune cells.
1: So this Tom, our window- Tom yeah. let's take a quick break. I, it's a perfect time to break um, yeah. because I'd love to get, there's a wonderful introduction to the microbiome and an incredibly elaborate way of helping people to understand that microbes are an important part of our health because, as you know, since the advent of antibiotics and the fact that, you know, when the explosion of population, especially here in the United States, the long time ago, the leading cause of death was due to infections. And so we've developed a culture and an attitude towards microorganisms that is very confrontational. We're very happy about our antibiotics. We're very happy about the way that we can control microorganism spread and exposure. So the idea that existence and coexistence with microorganisms is one of the most fundamental principles of life is hard for people to get their heads around. And the idea that we're covered in Trillions of microorganisms, and that you know, there's the same microorganisms in fecal matter are being transferred to babies, and it's on our skin, and it's everywhere around our bodies, and all of these things are are things that people have a difficult time on um, grasping and wanting to grasp based on our sort of more sanitary approach to our culture. But I think that was a wonderful introduction to take it down all the way to the level of plant roots, to the sea life, to our entire life as we know it is dependent on the existence of these microorganisms, including humans and our human health. So let's, in the next segment, relate it specifically to some of the functions of human health and physiology, starting with one of the most important ones, which is our immune function. So when we come back, Tom, I want you to discuss that. This is Dr. Kevin Passera with the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500. Don't touch that dial. We're going to be back right after these words.
4: Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com.
0: Are you under a lot of stress at work? Pressure from the boss, budget cuts, impossible workloads. It can all take a serious toll on your health, but we can help. Village Green Apothecary has everything you need for a healthier lifestyle. A wide range of nutritional supplements, health-related books, and more. We've been providing customized nutrition and healthy living resources for over 45 years, and we'll take the time to advise you about your unique needs. Visit Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane or check out our website at myvillagegreen.com. and Village
5: Green Apothecary.
4: Do you have unique needs that a mass market pharmacy can't handle? Village Green Apothecary can help. Maybe your doctor prescribed a special compounded formula for you, or you have concerns about allergies or dietary supplements. We invite you to talk with one of our compounding specialists today. Our team includes pharmacists, nutritionists, clinical herbalists, and naturopaths, offering customized products and personalized healthy living plans to ensure your well-being. Visit Village Green in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane. Call us at 301-530- or check out our website at myvillagegreen.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM 1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Pacero. Thank you all for tuning in. We're here every Sunday from 10 to 11 a.m. Today, we have launched into, I think, one of the most exciting discussions relating to medicine and health right now. Um, I really think this is at the forefront, cutting edge, of helping us in our next generation of scientific advances in how to really, truly support human health on a very deep level, and that's the discussion of the microbiome. And my special guest, Tom Maltaire, did a phenomenal job in the last segment, really helping us drive home the idea that these organisms that live primarily in our colon, but everywhere— in and on our body, are a fundamental part of our health and our survival. Um, So in this segment, Tom, you were sort of about to launch into the interaction of these microbiome and these bacteria with our immune system. Um, And that was going to be, I could tell, leading into a very, very interesting discussion. And I'm sorry I had to cut you off, but here we are back again. So please elaborate on your previous thoughts.
2: Absolutely. So... Here we are. We're we're in the intestinal tract, right? We're taking this journey into the intestinal tract. And as we're going into the intestinal tract, you have to imagine that there's a single cell wall that separates the inside of our body with the contents of the intestinal tract. So you take something into your mouth and you swallow it. And it goes down in your stomach, swish, 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 stomach acid, and then it drops into the upper intestines. And at that point right there, the body's going to say, you know what? I don't have any defenses now other than that acid that I just had. So hopefully whatever was living there, whether it was a bacterium or a virus or a parasite, whatever it was that was living in that food, I hope it's dead now. And if it's not, then I need to have some sort of backup to deal with this. I need to have some sort of interaction with these foreign invaders. So rightly so, your body lines that single cell intestinal wall with the vast majority, some estimate around 70% of your entire immune cells are going to be lining the intestinal tract, waiting for foreign invaders to come in through that window to the outside world, that tube, that inner tube of life, right? So you suck things into that tube, and it might be bad stuff, and your body has to say, wow, how may to deal with that if it is bad? So you've got these immune cells, and they're waiting. They're waiting to respond. And they put out these little what's called toll-like receptors, and these, these receptors that are sticking out of your immune excuse me, not your immune cells, your intestinal cells, they'll, they'll be hanging out waiting to bind to certain things, okay? They'll bind to pieces of bacterium, they'll bind to little pieces of virus, whatever they're going to bind to. And they actually are recognizing the specific protein patterns of microorganisms. So you can have certain organisms around. So the studies started back in 2004 with Nachum and Cell, and they showed there's a bacteroes Okay, so there was this one particular organism that they were researching, and they said, look at this. When this organism is around in the intestinal tract, we can actually calm down the immune cells of the intestine. It appears that it binds these toll-like receptors. You have this little receptor sticking out. It binds to this receptor, and it will send a signal down to the, the nearby immune cells, chemical signal, that basically says, Take, please disperse. There's nothing to see here. I mean, just chill out. Everything's fine. we've got our friends up there. Everything's okay. We have a balance in the intestinal tract. There's nothing to worry about. You know, if you see something sneak through, that's a food particle, or you see something that's ragweed, or you see something that's coming, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. And we're now seeing this is not just the bacteroides fragilis. We're now seeing there are some. Equoi, there's some Clostridia, there are some certain organisms around that, when they're present, they dampen down our immune response. They allow our immune cells to communicate in such a way that they tolerate the presence of these quote unquote foreign proteins. So, normally, you have a person who walks around, and they are consuming food, and they are inhaling ragweed and pollen, and some of that gets down in the mucosal uh, passage in the back of the throat, you know, from the sinuses, and then they'll ingest that. And when the immune cells see those proteins, they don't normally respond. Those are normally harmless. Foods are harmless. Pollen is harmless. It's when our immune cells lose tolerance. It's when our immune cells overreact to particular proteins, that we end up with things like allergy, eczema, atopic asthma, food sensitivities, all these gluten, dairy reactions, whatnot. It's because the immune cells have lost tolerance. They've never been truly trained effectively to not react to those particular structures. And the research coming out is extremely clear and showing that the microbiome plays the lead role in training the immune system early on. Now, of course, there are other factors. Of course, there are things like vitamin D status. You know, vitamin D dampens down, uh, down the immunologic response. Of course, there are certain nutrients that you have to have for proper immune cell function, things like zinc and vitamin A. There are multitude of other factors, but the training, the actual communication, the conversation, if you will, from the outside world to the inside world is coming through the microbiome. So it's no wonder now that scientists are calling the immune system the microbial interaction system. So they're saying, whoa, it's that important that if you have the proper microbes to communicate through, you can stabilize or destabilize if you don't have the proper microbiome the entire immune response. So that's kind of huge. When you think of many of the diseases we're dealing with today, what are you talking about? You're talking about a lot of autoimmunity, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. You've got MS, rheumatoid arthritis. You've got these diseases that have as a piece of them a component in which our immune cells have lost tolerance and are now Responding to our own cells in a very volatile way, and if you look at the autoimmune data, you can see there's a direct correlation between the microbiome diversity and the ability for a person to not overrespond with their immune cells. So now I'm going to, I'm going to reemphasize this term: the biodiversity. Because, you know, I'm part of the Autism Research Institute, and what we're seeing is, for example, in many of the diseases, whether it's inflammatory bowel, whether it's irritable bowel, whether it's autoimmune, whether it's autism, I'll I'll take autism, for example. Kang et al., with one of my colleagues, Dr. Jim Adams, published a fascinating article in 2013, where they noticed that a large portion of specific bacterium called Prevotella were missing. In autistic children. And I think we're going to see this across diseases. We've already seen it in obesity, we've already seen it in diabetes, we're seeing it in autoimmune diseases, that each particular disease, the subjects are missing certain strains of microbes. They don't have a particular portion of their immune system interacting with a particular organism. Gosh, I'm using that word particular a lot because it is very particular. And when that doesn't happen, we don't have that training. The training never occurs. So the immune system is confused and overreactive. So it's quite it's quite fascinating that the lack of organisms is increasing our rates of disease. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Martin Blaser's book, um, Epidemic of, Ab- or excuse me, Missing Microbes. And then there's another book called Epidemic of Absence that have both been focusing on the fact that you're right, Kevin. We are kind of a, a germaphobic society. We're all walking around with our, our Purell or triclosan-based hand sanitizers, and we're trying to wipe out excessive organisms so we don't end up with flus or, or colds. And it's going to get worse now that we have Ebola coming around and these multiple different strains of respiratory viruses and whatnot, where everybody's going to go, ah, you know, I need to make sure I'm I'm hyper-clean so I don't have these interactions with microbes that can kill me. But there is a balance, isn't there? And the overuse of antibiotics that we've had in the United States now has left our population more susceptible for allergic type or overreactive type diseases and disorders. Now, how intimate is this? Well, gosh, you've seen the studies. I mean, they can take someone who is is obese and take the microbes from this obese person and put them in a rat, and the rat will get obese, and they can do something similar with lean. And we've seen now even, you know, people in in third world countries who have protein energy malnutrition, you know, something called kwashiorkor, for example. you look at twins, and one of the twins will have this distended belly like we used to see in the Ethiopian commercials, you know, like, save the starving children, please. Because look at them, they're, they're terrible. And that was kwashiorkor, with the distended belly and, and the really thin arms, the protein energy malnutrition. And then you look at another twin who doesn't have that disease, and they're saying, like, wait a second, they're eating the same foods. Why does one twin have this and the other twin does not? And then they can actually take their microbiome, put them in rats. And the microbiome from the twin with kwashiorkor will give the rat the protein, energy, malnutrition. So this is opening up a whole another field here where we're saying, wait a second, the microbiome, is that important for energy?
1: Right. <laughs> for actually
2: absorbing nutrients from the food? So if you want specific amino acids from your food, if you want vitamin K2 production by the microbiome, if you want biotin, if you want many of the B vitamins, B1, B2, B6 and even B12, but it's not absorbed in the intestinal tract, but it does go back in the environment as B12. So there's a lot of nutrients that these microorganisms are producing. In fact, recent data that I was looking at is is quite fascinating. You know, everybody's saying in pregnant women, you should give them folic acid to prevent neural tube defects. But a lot of people don't understand that you know, in some cases, almost close to 50% of a woman's daily folate supplies might be coming from her colonic microbiome. There's a specific pathway via a specific enzyme called the EPSPS enzyme that produces the structure of folate. I mean, did you know that microbes in plants are the only things that make folate, the folic acids that we think of, that should be called folate, in nature? They don't come from anywhere else. They come from plants and microbes. And here's the here's the rub. Did you know that we've been spraying hundreds of millions of pounds of a chemical substance on our planet to specifically inhibit the EPSPS enzyme in plants and microbes? It's called Roundup. The glyphosate-based herbicides that we've been spraying ever increasingly, and even more now that we have a bunch of super weeds and Herbicide resistant weeds because of the drastic increase of GMO crops that are made to withstand the hyper spraying of Roundup. And I begin to wonder it's like, well, wait a second. If this now Roundup that's being found in breast milk, it's being found in air and water samples and human samples everywhere, if it's everywhere, What's it doing to the behavior of our microbiome?
1: Yeah, there's lots of different factors, and this is what I want to get into next, Tom, in the next segment. We're going to have to take a break, but let's start talking about, you know, you've clearly established the importance of the microbiome in health, and you've clearly established this— idea that the microbiome goes far beyond the expression of gastrointestinal problems and and the GI system. Sure, there are nutrient issues and absorption issues, and they produce nutrients, but this idea that you can take a microbiome from an obese mouse and put it in a lean mouse, and the lean mouse becomes obese, means that these mixes of bacteria are having very significant global impacts on the expression of our health on many, many, many different levels, and that's why it is becoming such an exciting part of research. When we come back from the break. Let's spend the next couple segments discussing what things influence the microbiome. So you're getting into this idea of things like environmental uh, toxicity. We'll talk about the ways of negatively influencing the microbiome, but also more importantly, we need to share with people the ideas and the concepts of how do we promote a healthy microbiome uh, in a way that optimizes as much as possibly can optimal health, because many people never had a say in the idea of whether or not they were born via C-section or never had a say... In the idea that maybe uh, when they were born, they needed to get administered antibiotics or had frequent antibiotics or had some type of scenario that now we know is disruptive to the microbiome. How do we rebuild it for optimal health? So this is Dr. Kevin Becerra with The Essentials of Healthy Living. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back right after this break.
5: Megafood Premium Whole Food Supplements are the only supplements crafted from scratch with farm fresh whole foods to deliver nourishment the way nature intended. Megafood believes Mother Nature knows best. They select only fresh whole food, harvested at the peak of ripeness. Handle it gently and with care to deliver its vital essence to you in every bottle. Megafood, from farm to tablet. Our name is our promise. For more information, visit us online at megafood.com. Available now through your healthcare professional and Village Green Apothecary.
4: All over the world, people are beginning to discover fish oil is one of the best secrets for unlocking great health. Thousands of studies have shown the amazing effects of these powerful omega-3s for heart health. Plus, fish oils have even been shown to balance moods and lessen anxiety. With exceptional taste, unrivaled freshness, and unsurpassed purity, Nordic Naturals is the easy way to get your omega-3s every day. To learn more, visit Village Green Apothecary or visit nordicnaturals.com. Nordic Naturals, committed to the planet, committed to pure and great-tasting omega oils. The
0: brain requires nutrition just like the rest of the body, and this is where Gero Formulas Neuro Optimizer comes to the rescue. NeuroOptimizer is a concentrated source of nutrients needed for memory, mood, concentration, and focus. Neuro Optimizer supplies the building blocks for neurotransmitters, the chemicals that allow cells in the brain to communicate and to file away memories. NeuroOptimizer is the nutritional answer to the brain's needs. To learn more about formulas, visit Gero.com. Gero Formulas available at Village. Green apothecary.
5: Did you know at Village Green, we offer everyday savings on top-quality nutritional supplements, including herbs and homeopathic remedies, plus personal care products and more? That's right. In addition to our other big sales events, you can save up to 20% on most everything you need for a healthier lifestyle today and every day. At Village Green, we've been providing customized nutrition and healthy living products for over 45 years. Visit Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane or check out our website at
1: myvillagegreen.com. Welcome back, everybody, to The Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500, brought to you by The Village Green Apothecary. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Facero. Thank you for tuning in covering a very exciting topic today. It's probably one of my favorite, and it's a discussion of the microorganism balance in our body and all of the incredibly exciting research coming out about the microbiome. And I have on the phone with me today a great special guest, Tom Meltair, is discussing with us a lot of these aspects. And in the last segment, we were just getting into the idea of some of the things that shift the microbial balance of our body. Just as sort of a recap, we've discussed a few things, Tom, right? We've talked about, number one, one, one of the most important aspects of establishing that microbiome comes during birth, and that's coming down the birth canal. We get major exposure to uh, microorganisms in the vaginal canal. The the microorganisms of the vaginal canal can be very similar to what's uh, in our digestive system. And so uh that's one way the baby's inoculated and of course in the birth process there is oftentimes exposure to some fecal material just based on the proximity of those areas that also is an inoculation for the baby and then of course we also know that breast milk can contain a a very good uh, array of microorganisms that support it for establishing that so there's this really important aspect that of inoculation that happens very early on in life. And then we've talked about some of the other negative effects. So if somebody's born via C-section, they may not get that same exposure. They're in a sterile hospital environment. They're not getting down the vaginal canal. They're not having exposure to the fecal material. Perhaps they're not breastfed. Perhaps they had a complication at birth where the hospital feels for the safety of the infant. They're put on antibiotics at a very early age, these things that are disruptive to that microbial balance in the gut. So touching on that, antibiotics can be very disruptive to the microbial balance of the gut. And we know that in our culture and society. They're oftentimes overprescribed, whether that's in the doctor's office or based on the fact that we're giving antibiotics in major amounts to our food supply, which can potentially have negative ramifications. We find antibiotic residues in our drinking water. Um, We've used them way too much, uh, and their impact on the microbial balance of our body has certainly uh, been one that is not favorable in many ways. Not to say they're not useful, but let's look at this as a global picture of health. And then, Tom, you were about to start talking about some of the aspects of environmental toxins and discussing the topic of Roundup, which is a, you know, sort of pesticide, herbicide that's used that we now are understanding has a direct impact On microbial balance. So maybe talk about a few other environmental or life factors that can disrupt microbial balance in a negative way, and then I'd really like to spend time helping people to understand the most important tools about how to rebuild a good microflora balance, because it goes far beyond just eating a little bit of yogurt or taking a probiotic pill. Right.
2: So the reality is that, yes, In the year 2014, we are exposed to thousands upon thousands of chemicals, and there are 87,000-plus chemicals in industrial use. And if you look at the American Academy of Pediatrics release of a paper in 2011 that kind of brought to our awareness that there were 74 billion pounds of chemicals back in 2010 being imported or produced in the United States every single day, 74 billion pounds a day. That's 250 pounds per person per day. Now, since then, we've had a drastic rise in a lot of the chemical use, so we've had, we have even more. And that number from that journal did not include food additives, pesticides. It did not include fuels and pharmaceuticals. So we have a tremendous amount of chemicals that we're exposed to. Many of these have had 90-day safety trials on pests that were done by the industry, and now we're now finding things like BPA, things like these organophosphorus pesticides. They are not benign. They have adverse effects. And many of them are designed to interact the pesticide family, for example, with life itself. They are supposed to interfere with the life processes of plants or insects. And unfortunately, the microbiome is oftentimes very sensitive to these effects of the chemicals. So we can throw off the microbial balance. So if we go back to the Roundup or the glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup, we look at those trials on animals, we're seeing that the microbes of the animals, when they're exposed to these substances, is thrown way out of balance. So we say, aha, okay, is is that something that's going to be happening to me well, I'm alive in 2014, and we say, well, do you breathe air? If you're coming from the East Coast, for example, and there's any sort of air pollution, there are plenty of trials showing that the particulate matter from air pollution will affect the microbes. We see from the fossil fuel burning and the, the mercury that's put in the environment, that will affect the microbes. So pretty much any chemical that you can think of that you might be using around your house, you know, scented candles, dryer sheets, All these things that have these endocrine disrupting type chemicals, there's a possibility that they could have an interaction with your microbiome. So just be conscious. But one of the most direct things, of course, is the sanitizers, the cleaning agents. You know, looking for the ingredient of triclosan. It appears that triclosan persists in the environment for a very long time, and it's not something we want to be um, supporting. In fact, a lot of companies are now banning the use of triclosan. So, you know, you can use time-based products or whatever to replace it, but as a hand sanitizer, you might want to try some alternate ways of of preventing the spread of quote-unquote germs.
1: Yeah, and I mean, while we're on the topic of triclosan, it certainly is the main ingredient in hand sanitizers, but it's also the main ingredient in most antimicrobial soaps. And believe it or not, yeah, one of the most concerning places where it's put is in toothpaste. As an active ingredient and not all brands of toothpaste have it, um, you know, but a lot of brands do include triclosan in toothpaste, which basically means you're going to be ingesting it, um, you know, and it's just not necessary. There's no clinical evidence ever produced that suggests that adding triclosan to toothpaste reduces the incidence of, of dental caries. None. Um, so there's no real need for it to be in there, Uh, so make sure that when you're buying toothpaste, you look real carefully in addition to, of course, alternatives to hand sanitizers and not using antimicrobial soap, which also has very little clinical data, if any at all, to suggest it reduces the incidence of spreading infections any better than just washing hands with normal soap.
2: That's exactly right, which is kind of shocking when we saw that trial. We're like, what? You mean the hand and washing may be as effective, if not more so, than the use of this stuff. We've been sold a bill of goods. It's not true. Right. So, right, right. So we want to kind of preserve our environment. So let's talk about that proactively. How do you preserve your environment? And I would say being conscious of where your products and your foods come from will do it. If you are a conscious consumer and you are looking at the ingredients and you're looking for things like triclosan and you're looking for the fact that your food is organic, you will actually be hopefully preserving the soil microorganisms that what's called the rhizosphere for future generations. We can't continue to walk around blindly and spray millions of pounds, hundreds of billions of pounds, if not billions, depending on the class of pesticide, of these substances on our land and assume they don't have an effect. That's It's ignorant and they will have an effect and they already are having effects. So, you know, that's a really important thing. now. That will also help your own intestinal landscape if you are consuming toxins in your food. So choosing organic, choosing sustainable sources of food, and then also looking at your personal care items, your soaps, your toothpaste, your hair gels, hairsprays, all these things can have adverse effects. So constantly being conscious of where your stuff is coming from. Then on top of that, we have to say, okay, how do we feed a microbiome? How do we harness, how do we invite or be a host to a very beneficial intestinal tract full of happy microbes? And that kind of goes back to thinking about what you would want to do to, to feed a child. You know, how would you want to... Would you want to feed a child a bunch of junk food and expect them to grow up into a, a strong human being? I mean, it's the same type of thing. You want to feed your microbiome. They love what you can't digest very well, so they'll love a lot of plant matter. They'll love a lot of substances that you might call fibers to feed them. But here's the catch. If you already have something called irritable bowel, IBS, whether it's diarrhea or constipation type, or you've been diagnosed with something called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you might have to eat a very specific diet for a while to kill off some of the imbalanced organisms first before you partake in a very plant-matter-rich diet that will contain the food for the microbiome. Everyone has to wonder. They have to wonder. You know, the consistent recommendation coming from a lot of nutritionists and doctors is, you know, you've got to eat more vegetables. You got to eat more plants. You have to, you have to increase your intake of these very potent antioxidants. Yes, but also the cell walls of the plant that feed the particular organisms that might be beneficial for your health. So there's this interesting secondary piece. Whenever you sit down at the dinner table. I mean, look around and say, hey, is what I'm going to be eating now going to not only feed what I think I need, you know, for my, my own needs, but also the microbes' needs? And am I going to be consuming a substance that's, you know, an artificial color or flavor or a preservative or high fructose corn syrup that can throw off the balance of my microbes? You know, that's an interesting concept, right? But that's something that we honestly need to consider if we want to
1: have health. Yeah, it's really important and what some of the research is showing us is that, you know, you can start altering the microflora of your gut within, within a days. few days, yeah, based yeah. on on how you eat and, you know, I mean we know that diets that are heavily based in meat products are going to produce a less diverse microflora. And as you alluded to earlier in the show, this aspect of diversity, as far as we know, I mean, there's a lot of big, you know, more large epidemiological studies going on to understand what a healthy biome should look like, because it's different, as you said, depending on which area of the world you grow up in and, you know, what your primary diet is in different cultures. But generally, we haven't named down exactly what should be where 100% but we're starting to collect data to gather it. And what we're finding, or what the research is so far alluding to, is that the, the healthiest biomes, or the biomes that seem to be associated with the greatest health, are ones that contain the most amount of diversity. That's one really, really important factor. And one of the ways to improve that diversity is working with eating more of the vegetable matter, because when our body breaks down these vegetable fibers, it's these vegetable fibers that end up creating the food sources for the beneficial bacteria allowing them to thrive. If the diet is very rich in meat products, sugar products, processed flours, processed um, foods, you're going to create a situation that feeds more of the negative opportunistic bacteria, which if they thrive, start pushing out the good guys. And as we just alluded to, you can see beneficial changes in the gut microflora within days of shifting the diet, which is really, really exciting. Tom, we're gonna to have to take a quick break. When we come back, I wanna discuss specifically in a little bit more detail some very real tools that people can implement to start improving their body's microflora. Because as we've clearly established in the first three segments of this show, having a healthy microbiome is showing to be a fundamental piece of the optimal expression of your genetic code which many people describe that as true health so this is dr kevin passero with the essentials of healthy living and we're going to be back right after this break
3: Solgar number 7, available at Village Green Apothecary.
0: If you have arthritis, everyday tasks can become a challenge. That's why more and more doctors are recommending Arthrobin, an all-natural medical food for the dietary management of osteoarthritis. It contains a combination of bioflavonoids, which work to reduce inflammation and joint deterioration, along with collagen peptides, which increase joint mobility, function, and repair. Arthrobin is not a drug and is virtually free of negative side effects. Look for Arthrobin by Designs for Health today. Available at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com.
4: New from Garden of Life, Kind Organics Multivitamins. That's right, certified organic. Made with the highest quality standards. Uncooked, untreated, unadulterated. Non-GMO certified, vegan, and gluten-free. Kind Organics Multivitamins from Garden of Life. Be kind to your body and the earth. Kind Organics. Now available at Village Green Apothecary and online at myvillagegreen.com.
0: Some things are hard to stomach, and life doesn't stop for occasional immune challenges or intestinal distress. ProBalarti from Metagenics offers a new targeted probiotic approach for intestinal support. Help maintain control while traveling or as a follow-up to antibiotic therapy to support intestinal flora for healthy intestinal function. ProBalarti provides ID-certified probiotic strains suggested by research to enhance certain aspects of immune function in addition to promoting a healthy balance of intestinal microflora. ProBalarti is the go-to probiotic for patients on the go. Get it today, available through your healthcare
5: professional and Village Green apothecary. Have you ever wondered why the cold and flu season occurs in the fall and winter months? One theory is because of a decrease in sun exposure, our bodies don't make enough vitamin D, which is essential to proper immune function. That's why medical experts recommend supplementing with vitamin D. Thorne Research's vitamin D products are made from pure vitamin D, with no preservatives or unnecessary ingredients added. Support your immune system with Thorne's vitamin D-1000 and D-5000. These and other immune-supporting formulas are always available at Village Green.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Essentials of Healthy Living here on AM1500, brought to you by the Village Green Apothecary. I am your host for today, Dr. Kevin Passero. Thank you all for tuning in. We've been having a wonderful discussion about the biodiversity of the gut and how it affects our overall health. got a wonderful special guest on who's been clearly an expert in this field and educating us with lots of great information, Tom. In this last segment, and people can learn more about Tom Maltieri and his uh, nutritional consulting business by visiting www.wholelifenutrition.net. Tom, in this last segment, let's give people some really real tools about how to improve biodiversity. You've already talked about eliminating body care products, antimicrobial soaps stopping with the Lysol wipes everywhere. You know, good hand-washing, good general sanitation will prevent as much infectious disease as overusing these antimicrobial agents, and also looking at an organic diet that doesn't utilize these chemicals that seem to be disrupting microbial function. Those are some very, very simple, basic things people can do. Let's talk about some other strategies about how to proactively boost the biome of the gut.
2: Yeah, so more of those rich plant foods you know, the whole life nutrition cookbook my wife and I wrote just so we could have lots of of food matter in people's diet. And then, you know, the other piece is really looking at getting more of the actual microbes into your system. So, you know, we're finding that we're in, in everything we do, whether it's my handouts or our books, we're writing information about how to ferment vegetables. So how do you get more of these organisms into your system you know, that's one of the oldest and truest ways everybody used to eat something spoiled, whether you're Alaskan natives who would bury eggs in the sand and let them rot, and you would get the organisms from that, or whether you were making some sort of kefir or yogurt or something in Europe and Eastern Asia. I mean, you would you would have something that you would let spoil and just become totally inundated with, with organisms, you know, like the alcoholic beverages, for example. So I would say... Look at having a bubbling kitchen. If you walk into my kitchen right now, you know, we have these lacto-fermented vegetables on our countertops. We've got a, a lacto-fermented salsa. You know, we've
1: got yogurt
2: going. We've got all sorts of different things happening so we can introduce these organisms back into the environment and have a real broad, diverse level of them from our kabuchas and everything that we have. So a bubbling kitchen seems to do incredibly well at exposing you to that. The other piece is the actual probiotic supplementation itself, which I do quite liberally. I mean, I, I exceed a lot of the recommendations on the probiotic bottles, considering we have trillions of organisms and we're introducing these little small billion doses. I'll, I'll do a broad level. I'll do anything from soil-based organisms to broad-spectrum combinations of probiotics. I'm really working on on introducing a broad spectrum of organisms into the intestinal tract of a person. And there is a caveat here, right? I mean, these organisms were all based off of 100 years of research of things that survived well in dairy products and in our food supply. And they're not necessarily the organisms that thrive in the human intestinal tract, but there are groups of researchers right now who are examining those in very elaborate laboratories, which is fascinating. And they're trying to mimic now probiotic supplementation of healthy humans. So they will take the organisms out of a human. It's almost like a supplement, a transplant of those organisms from a healthy human into another human. But it might be a couple of years until those are approved through FDA processes and someone's taking them. In the meantime, I just say, you know, give as much exposure as you possibly can and then lower your exposure To the chemicals. And how you can do that is you can help to excrete those out of your system. Make sure you're drinking plenty of fluid and your bowels are moving freely. But gosh, one of the most potent ways you can do this is to just grow your own broccoli sprouts. Take some organic broccoli seeds, put them in a mason jar, two, two and a half tablespoons at a time, cover them with water, let them soak for 10 hours under your counter, drain them off with a sprouting lid, then put them under that counter again. Rinse them off a couple of times a day. Seven days later, you'll have some sprouts. Put them on your windowsill. They turn green. And why are we doing sprouts? Because broccoli sprouts have a tremendously high level of sulforaphane. And we know that sulforaphane ramps up your body's detox capacity for getting some of those toxic chemicals out of your system and leaving space for your microbiome to thrive. So I did a TED Talk on that, just put in Tom Maltare, M-A-L-T-E-R-R-E plus TEDx, T-E-D-X, and you'll see my presentation on broccoli as a detoxification agent. So, yeah, I mean, it's really important to be conscious of the fact that we are hosts and we want to be kind hosts. We want to invite our microbes to flourish, to thrive, and provide all the benefit and nutrients that they can for our bodies. So, I'd say just just be conscious and be kind and you know, watch what happens. You'll you'll be vibrant with health. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I love the idea of fermenting your own foods. There are some great available store-bought things that have, you know, sure. good good live bacteria in them, but it will never be to the amounts that you get when you make it at home and you eat it fresh as soon as it's made. Um, so I really oh, love the yeah. idea of making your own cultured vegetables, making your own yogurt or kefir or whatever it is, making your own cultured foods typically will improve the bacterial counts and it will have a much greater therapeutic effect. So the bubbling kitchen is certainly a path to better microbial health. So, Tom, we are at a time. Thank you so much for sharing all of your expertise and insight with us on today's show. This is Dr. Kevin Passera with The Essentials of Healthy Living, thanking you all for tuning in, and I will be talking with you all in a couple weeks. In the meantime, I'll be wishing you the best of health. Take care. Bye-bye.
5: Did you know at Village Green we offer everyday savings on top quality nutritional supplements including herbs and homeopathic remedies plus personal care products and more? That's right. In addition to our other big sales events, you can save up to 20% on most everything you need for a healthier lifestyle today and every day. At Village Green, we've been providing customized nutrition and healthy living products for over 45 years. Visit Village Green Apothecary in Bethesda at 5415 West Cedar Lane or check out our website at myvillagegreen.com.